0: trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode.
1: Churches like, like that denomination of faith, they want to control everything. That was the same with Bill Gothard, though he wasn't a church. He was just a teacher, or maybe you'd see him as a prophet or something. And a, a Billy Graham, if you're familiar with who Billy Graham is, you know, he's just, or James Dobson, you know, he was another guy out there with a grift who wanted to really entrench into people's minds, purity, isolation, isolation from the world. The world is all bad. It is all sin. It has nothing for you hi survivors i'm tara Newell,
0: and i'm collier landry and this is the survivor squad podcast
2: Woo! another episode
0: and we are making up for the editing guys i made a little bit of a kerfuffle didn't i
2: yes but i think you were trying to match mark's i don't know like his tone
0: no i didn't know i just everything got out of sync i literally just (laughs) no there's no there's no excuse there's no excuse so last week so our first episode of part one of our interview with mark vicente the questions were out of line for like the first half of the episode which i'm so sorry but i hit the wrong button on the editing software then i hit export and basically it shifted everything so it was all out of whack so there was only like a thousand downloads at that point so hopefully you guys got to hear it because we fixed it like straight away as soon as we saw the the note on instagram i was like oh my god so we, we fixed it, but it was a kerfuffle for a moment there. So apologize, uh, our editor.
2: We're going to get better. You know, we only go up from here.
0: We only go up from here. We, uh, you know, it's so apologies to that. But hopefully you guys got to hear that fixed episode. Yes. But it's been a big week, Tara. There's been a lot going on. There was the Lori Lori Vallow had her sentencing hearing, and then we announced that we're going to CrimeCon, and you did a YouTube video, right?
2: Yes, I did a YouTube video. Feel free to check it out. I don't want to get too into it because I want to keep the momentum on the survivor today because, you know, just that's why we don't share our stories on here too much. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we don't do... um,
0: that's why we put call your own mute a lot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, and we're figuring out our footing as we're getting into it. We had our separate podcasts. I feel like we both like to be interviewed differently at mm-hmm. times
1: sure. where
2: I'm like, I want people to shut the fuck up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to me, I'm just like, I'm just gonna talk, 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 talk. When I was in college, this is a true story. When I was in music school in our studio, in our voice studio, because I went to school for voice my voice instructor who was head of the voice department literally had a talking stick and you were not allowed to talk unless you had the talking stick when we would have like studio lessons. It was really funny. And so who do you think violated the talking stick the rule the most?
2: Probably Collier?
0: Yes. That would oh my be gosh. <laughs> couldn't help myself so i got whacked with the t- talking stick a lot
2: <laughs> wait you could would it whacked it
0: was all in good fun it was not abusive it was all in good oh fun gosh. but anyways <laughs> so there's a whole other story for a whole other day but there's a new documentary that came out called
2: happy shiny people
0: shiny happy people shiny happy people shiny
2: happy
0: people <laughs> shiny happy people and it is about well it's about a lot of things and focuses on the duggar family but we have a survivor of bill gothard and his Do you call it a ministry? Is that what we call it?
2: I want to say it's like, you know, when there's churches, those churches are good. They're not toxic. I say this is a toxic church and really anything can be toxic. Any person can be toxic. Abusers are toxic. And like a quote from the Bible says, you know, wolves hide in sheep's clothing.
0: That's a Bible quote?
2: It's from the Bible. Yeah.
0: I have no frame of reference here. I'm not a particularly religious person. So I'll take your word for it.
2: I'm trying to go back to my Bible studies and (laughs) I literally went to courses on how to fight atheists, and I'm having trouble remembering this stuff. But I remember the context of it, you know, that there's always going to be abusers and Unfortunately, sometimes they take positions of power. They are used to taking positions of power. And as Christians, you are taught not to question your leaders. And I think that that is something I want to argue against today. Growing up in the church, that you have to question your leaders. Because if you don't sometimes, you won't know if they are fully authentic.
0: Well, as they say, and I don't think this is in the Bible, but they say absolute power corrupts Absolutely. So anyways, we have Lindsay Williams, who is joining the program. She is a survivor of Bill Gothard, and she's going to tell us her story. She was in the Amazon Prime documentary, Shiny Happy People. So what do you say we get into it?
2: Well, thank you, Lindsay, so much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I'm always excited to be able to tell a little bit of the story. And uh, I know even with the documentary, there's only so much information that they can have each of us give into our stories. And so the documentary was very focused on Bill Gothard and our time and experience with IBLP, as uh, which is the overarching organization, and then ATI, which is the homeschooling program that Bill Gothard also created. Um, I have the double whammy of being involved in both. <laughs> um, and also my parents, my parents, Went to some of the basic and advanced seminars through the Institute in Basic Life Principles, and then they started to hear the rumors and rumblings that they were starting the homeschooling program. And we were really young; I think I was in like sec- first or second grade. And I have two younger brothers, and so my parents were like, "This is great. We can let's just remove them from public school and get started." <laughs> so that was my entry into everything.
0: You just gave a bunch of acronyms. So sure. what are we got? What could those?
1: So IBLP is the Institute in Basic Life Principles. And that is the organization that Bill Gothard created. He is the mastermind, the Wizard of Oz, if you will, of all of this organization. So anytime we we refer to IBLP, that's pretty much the headquarters home base. That's the the corporate program um, that he started. And everything that has branched out from there just falls underneath that organization. Um, the organization itself is not a church. I know a lot of people say, especially with the Duggars, it gets confusing because people think it's, oh, so all these ATI churches or IBLP churches. And like you said, there's a lot of acronyms. And so people think that we're of a like our own faith or belief system, which it's not. I've always referred to Bill Gothard's institute and basic life principles as a booster pack to your christian faith if you really wanted to go hyper fundy this was the route you would go Um, you would add all of this and become like hyper awesome conservative so he made it very easy with step-by-step processes for people, you know, the seven basic principles, the non-optional principles and 49 character qualities. I mean, he, he made it very easy to kind of just get those little earworms in and you would just kind of get things stuck in your head. And I think I will remember all of this until I die <laughs> um, because it's just so ingrained.
0: These are all essentially, the, the. are these all Christian programs?
1: Yes. It's a Christian. The, the, the. The belief system is Christian-based, yes. And so, um, like, Catholics might have pulled in a few things. We found out later that, like, Mormonism is actually very relatable to this conservatism as well. So you do have the Christian faith, which is what Bill is very entrenched in. This does not waver in his mind. This does not waver from the Christian faith. But a lot of other faiths who are a little more towards that bent of Jesus following— they see a lot of uh, potential within this organization, potential within this ministry itself. It, it has a lot that speaks to them, um, especially just on conservatism. You know, w- women have their place in the home. Men have their place outside. Children are to obey their parents. Authoritarianism, uh, legalistic mindsets. I mean, it's it's very, very rigid and controlled. Um, and that's how Bill likes it, as well as many conservative uh, fundamentalists it's just an extremism of christianity
2: okay now my mom grew up nazarene christian how Mm. is that different from this
1: I wish I could tell you about the Nazarenes, but I'm not very well versed in Nazarene. Um, But I, I would say that more than likely, if it has a bent towards conservatism, where there isn't rock music, there's purity culture, there's a lot of authoritarianism. I'm sure that they probably fell underneath these types of mindsets, these types of ways of control of people.
2: Yeah, she was never allowed to go to dances. She wasn't allowed to see movies. Like, it was crazy to me. And she wanted us to grow up a little bit different, you know, still under the Christian umbrella, however, not to that extremist.
1: Right, right. and you're you're very right on that in that um the churches, like like that denomination of faith, they want to control everything That was the same with Bill Gothard, though he wasn't a church. He was just a teacher, or maybe you'd see him as a prophet or something. and a, a Billy Graham, if you're familiar with who Billy Graham is, you know, he's just or James Dobson, you know, he was another guy out there with a grift who wanted to really entrench into people's minds. Purity, isolation, isolation from the world, the world is all bad, it is all sin, it has nothing for you. Um, And that's why Bill also created the homeschooling program, because he was like, um, regular education, secular education holds nothing of value in his mind. It is more about being spiritual, being withheld from the world, being as pure as possible, untainted by rock music, by dancing, by movies, by your language, your alcohol consumption, drug consumption, Um, and it was very sexualized in that men had a role, women had a role, and if you fell anywhere in between or outside of, there wasn't really a place you would have to conform to being male or female, which is also a really horrible issue, too, within this community or this this mindset, I guess. Um, but it, if you could remain as pure and untainted from the world, you were at the height of your Christianity, according to Bill Gothard.
0: I'm not exactly a particularly religious person, but um, is is there some sort of hierarchy within the—I don't remember any biblical texts talking about that. Is there a hierarchy of purity in the Bible, I mean, in the New Testament, I know it's most certainly not in the Old Testament. So uh, or is this just something that he has he has contrived himself?
1: Not to the degree that Bill took it. Like like I said, he is an extremist. He fully goes to extremism in his belief. If Bill if Bill got there, could have turned back time. He would have taken us all to the, to the 50s. Which is honestly where our country's headed right now anyway, you know, with the way that they are trying to take away women's rights and they're trying to take away tons of people's rights um, and not really acknowledging anybody and forcing all of us except for like white men and then forcing everyone else to comply to a very conservative system, regardless of the harm it may place to other people. When it comes to very rigid fundamentalist Christians, they don't really care if it brings harm to you because if you're being harmed by... Purity culture—it means you're not pure, so that's on you. If you don't want an abortion, don't have sex. That's their <laughs> viewpoint. Cool. If you are raped, then sorry, um, you're just going to have to live with that consequence. And God probably means it for good. It's—it's um, it's pretty insidious. There, there is not a lot. There's not a lot of wiggle room for compassion, even though they will say, "Oh, we're so compassionate and we love everybody, but we hate the sin, but we love the sinner." um doesn't doesn't really uh go into the action of how these people behave towards others
2: now i love all this but i want to give people context of why you might feel this way and especially if they grew up a certain way i know you grew up a certain way and you did believe you know christianity and whatnot so i want to get into your story and Have people have that understanding of, like, what you went through.
1: Sure, absolutely. So um, one of the other acronyms that I will use is ATI. And ATI stands for Advanced Training Institute. That was the name of Bill Gothard's homeschooling program. It sounds incredibly official. The Advanced Training Institute. Oh, the things we're going to learn. It's advanced, it's training, and it's an institute. (laughs) It couldn't get any bigger and better. Um, Plus, even the way he would print materials, they just looked snazzy like you just you felt like you had a whole encyclopedia britannica on your shelf and it was very strange how he would present it to be this big thing Um, but i was pulled out in third grade to get into the homeschooling program and immediately i mean within first impact i was like what is this Um, it wasn't like any of the education i was learning at the time it wasn't an academic program per se it was very very bible all Bible, um, and it really d- didn't feel very usable in the world. It was just more biblical information and indoctrination materials. I struggled from day one. Um, I became a Christian as well through this. I think it was ten when I became a, cr- a full Christian, and baptized, and everything. And I, I'm a child, so I'm following what's being fed to me. This is what you need to do. You need to be a Christian. If you're not, you're burning hell. Well. <laughs> Please sign me up for Christian <laughs> checkbox. Don't want to burn in hell. That'd be great. Um, you know, plus I was competitive with my little brother who became a Christian first. <laughs> but anyway, so as we grow into this this homeschooling program and my parents are continuing to go to seminars, more freedoms that I had at the time were getting taken away from me. Like I wasn't wa- allowed to wear shorts anymore. Then I wasn't allowed to wear pants. I wasn't allowed to wear um uh, strapless or or strappy shirts anymore, you know, like little spaghetti tops or something. I had to wear full sleeves. Then it became, like, the v-necks had to go, and I had to, you know, have collared shirts. My hair had to be long. I couldn't wear makeup. It, it just, it was... <laughs> From the outside world, I just felt like the most bland, boring human being on the planet. Plus, you look really weird to everyone else on the outside, but you're being told by your betters and the people you trust, this is the way to go. This is the way to live. So um, it gets very confusing as a child. It's frustrating because everyone in your neighborhood is not in this program you're the only one. So it's four o'clock in the afternoon and you hear everyone else outside playing and you're like, I'm still reading about Nebuchadnezzar. I'm My eyes are bleeding. Like, is there something else we can do? Um, plus you have to do chores and you just, you literally from a very young age have to be perfect before you even can be perfect. And there was a lot of discipline in my home, corporal punishment um, to keep us in line. And so having a willful spirit or being disobedient or asking questions was really not allowed. And so... From very early on, I had a very hard time believing that God existed, because everything that I was seeing and experiencing was polar opposite to what I would read in the Bible. And I'm a child reading it, and it just seems very obvious to me. You're supposed to love people, you're supposed to support people, you're not supposed to hurt them. I mean, the most aggressive Jesus ever got was flipping a change table in a temple. So why am I getting hit at home? Like This doesn't make any sense to me, and yet it was for my own spiritual well-being. So this this goes on until I'm in my late teens.
0: Are you able? So are you able to interact with other children, like on your block? You know, they're outside playing. Are you interacting with children? Are you or, or are you taught that they're the others and you don't interact with them?
1: You are taught that you're the others, and so when you interact with them, you are to be a light for Jesus to these kids. So there was a bit of a pressure to always say the narrative of like oh I'm sorry I can't play this video game it's not pure and you know I've I've given my life to Jesus Christ and I can't play this game like you and and you would be questioned when you got home like oh what did you guys do outside today oh well you felt really proud of yourself when you could say the flex of like oh you know I didn't go play the video game or they started watching them they all went inside and started watching a movie but we told them we gave our our you know, life to the Lord, and so we're, we came came back home.
0: I know, kid. I, I had friends like this growing up, so now mm. I now I'm like okay, and they would get like points if they said, "Oh, we told them about Jesus being the light of the world," and they got extra right. credit for that at home. But yeah, I I I know exactly what you're talking about now. Sorry, I just had to have that
1: like. No, this sounds sure. so familiar
0: to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it wasn't, you know, we would we would try our best to have fun with these kids. You know, we would try our best to be like, well. We hope they stay outside and play basketball because if they do that, then we don't have to worry. Like, let's not go to their houses. Let's have them be at our house on the front lawn or something because then we won't be drawn into these situations. Because no kid wants to have to stand up for God. It's really awkward. It feels very weird. It puts you as a weird kid. I'm already out there in my skirts playing basketball and you know flag football and frisbee in the <laughs> in the street, you know, and it's it's ridiculous. Um, also not safe, but. Um, yeah, so we were we were very peculiar, but that's kind of also a part of Christianity. You're to you're to be a peculiar people. So the weirder people think you are, it's kind of a badge of honor. Like yes, we know we're strange, but we are strange for God. It is the most bizarre mental flipped flex that people could possibly be so proud of. Um, being that kind of odd is not exactly something I ever want for my life ever again. <laughs> um, but throughout, as I got into my teen years, you know, I've been indoctrinated with all this material we my parents would supplement educationally with other books and stuff like that. But it was based on whatever we were learning out of these booklets from Bill Gothard. And so I I don't we won't dive deep into it. But it was so disjointed. And it was almost like my parents were using like a fifth grade math book as a resource to go into like, oh, here's a chapter on division. Let's do this today, everybody. And I'm like, wait, but I don't even know how to do multiplication very well. So what are, what are we doing? You know, just really strange, disjointed. It was a very hard way to learn. So even today, I have a very difficult time with going into a structured learning situation. I get a lot of anxiety. My mind doesn't really calm down and settle going, ooh, I'm gonna learn something. It just almost shuts down going, I'm, I don't understand how this works. I'm just used to a bunch of stuff being thrown at me from all sides. And if I catch a few ideas, then great. <laughs> It sucks. Um, but anyways, I got older into my mid-teen years. Bill Gothard had other programs. We, they, As an advanced training institute homeschooled kid, you then became a student. That's what you were known as, like an apprenticeship student. So as you got into like your 15 to 18, tw- 19, 20-year-old age, you could go to other programs at other places. So Bill Gothard had training centers, it was in the documentaries, got like training centers all over the place. And these training centers were kind of unique because you couldn't just be like a person off the street wanting to come in and like, hey, I heard about this alert program, this paramilitary thing you got going on, can I be a part of it? That's that there was the barrier to entry was being a homeschooled kid in ATI and now you had access to these programs. So of course the parents were like, this is awesome. Let's just send our kids to these things because they're just gonna continue on. We already trust this program. We've already given them 10 years of this like education. So it really was just a furtherance of indoctrination and conditioning. And so I went to uh, one or two of these programs. I went to the women's program that they had back in the nineties called the Excel program, which was only for ladies. It was eight weeks and it was like a finishing school for, for girls. But it also, again, just the, the way, when I think about how much stuff they were giving us, it was like, here's how to sew a vest. Here's what your makeup tone should be for your skin. Um, Here's how to set a table like a, like a lady. And you're just like, I already know this, actually. Thank you. Um, I've been in your program forever. Um, but anyway, Bill came down to these things for graduations at all of these different programs. He would come down to graduation. I met him for the very first time in person there. Um, you know, it was intriguing, but I, I don't know. I've, I've had awe for him because we looked up to him. He was our, you know, our prophet, I guess. And yet it just... I don't know, he always felt a little off to me. But I'm like, you know, whatever, glad he's here and my parents will be so proud. That's what I was always excited about. Oh my gosh, my parents are not gonna believe I got to meet him and I have a photo with him. Um, I go back home, my brother and I are teaching later on. We're teaching at some of these basic and advanced seminars under the IBLP umbrella. Because again, Bill Gothard loves free labor. (laughs) And at these seminars, parents and and families are paying to come to these seminars. You don't have to be in the homeschooling program in order to come to the seminars that he has under IBLP. So we're not talking about the homeschooling program. We're talking about his overarching organization. But at the advanced, the basic and advanced seminars, they would have breakout sessions for the kids. Because where are these parents going to put their kids, right? So we would teach the children character qualities, with songs and fun games and things like that. But I mean, I look at it now and I'm like, I'm literally regurgitating what I've known my whole life and I'm now feeding it to younger children. And I'm a trustworthy, happy-go-lucky person, so they're gonna eat it right up, then they're gonna take it home and, you know, who knows, they could be the next ATI generation. I mean, we're free labor and we're free advertising and indoctrination to these other kids. It was at one of these seminars, I was in Atlanta with my brother. It was one of the first times my parents let us travel outside of the state, like by ourselves. So we went to Atlanta. We were so excited. I think I was 18 years old. My brother was 16. We're like, this is amazing. Maybe we could be on a traveling team. Like, we're just excited to not be home anymore. And, like, yeah, we're doing something for the ministry and for God. Um, Although I still was questioning God's relevance and if he wasn't really there. But you have to toe the line. Like, the idea of you even stepping outside of this was not not an option. I had no, I don't know where else I would go. I don't know, I, you know, it would be very bad to try to turn away from this stuff. So you're better to just, my survival mechanism was to imposter and just be all I could be within this system. So it was actually at that seminar that Bill Gothard, I, we, we did not know that he was going to be staying at the same hotel as all of the students that were going to teach for this children's institute and in the breakfast room Tuesday morning in he walks as we're eating breakfast and my me and my brother we everybody's like hushed and like oh it's Mr. Cothard oh my goodness and uh I was like this is this is insane mom and dad are not gonna believe this, this is gonna be this is the second time I've met this guy wow um so he goes and gets food sits down at the table like a few round tables away from me and you know I'm a little fluttery like this is amazing and how crazy is this and he, i start realizing that he's looking my direction and he's not budging like he's not looking around the room he's not interacting with people he's just staring at me while he eats and i was like it's so messed up because i was like oh my gosh does he see like the light of god in me like, now now I'm like, do I believe in God? Does he see everything that I've been working? So i I worked so hard and I've been just trying everything to be this bright, shining countenance and this great person for his ministry, and he must be seeing that. And he comes, he gets up and he comes over to me and he says, well, what is your name? And I was like, Lindsay? And he was just like, I would love to speak with you later after the seminar. And I was like, okay, yeah, Wonderful. So he walks back and leaves the room and my brother's like, oh, my God, you're going to meet Bill Gothard. And I was like, "Uh, this is crazy. Mom and dad are really not going to believe this. Um, so later that night I meet him in his office and, uh, well, I meet him at the front of the seminar stage. Um, everything had, had flooded out no one was there anymore. And, um, I'm taken like out. It was a huge auditorium and I'm taken out through like this back door to a waiting van with him and some of his male staff. And I was like, I was 18.
0: You were 18. Okay.
1: Yeah, I was 18, but I will say because of the way that we were raised and so isolated naive and innocent and ignorant to everything whenever whenever i think about this and even when i talk to my therapist i feel like i'm 14 14 or 15 years old like i don't have the maturity to understand what the hell i could potentially be getting myself into or even i just have i have nothing to pull from you know i'm just blindly this is him and full Mm -hmm. trust and let's go you know so i yeah and he and he knows how we were raised like, he, he, we sit down, we get to his office, we sit down and he immediately starts asking, you know, how old am I? What's my birth order? What's my spiritual gift? How long have I been in the ATI program? I mean, I've been in the ATI program for 10 years. How many seminars have you gone to? Oh, like 14, you know like mean? He knows already my level of entrenchment, indoctrination and conditioning. Um, and then he started asking, he's like, well, do you have any young men back home? And I was like, well, there's actually this 35 year old guy at church and he's been trying to court me since I was 17. But, you know, my dad said he probably should wait until I'm like 18 or 19. And Bill was like, oh no, that's not, that is not okay. Well, we're going to have to, you're going to have to release this young man's heart. And I was like, but I didn't do anything. Thing. Like I didn't what did I do but just oh, like boy. exist at church, you know? And uh he's like, Well, you you should call him and release his heart. And I was like, Okay. Um, and then he's like, and what do you think about coming to headquarters? Would you like to come to headquarters and work for me in Oakbrook, Illinois? And I was like, Yes. <laughs> I mean, anything to not be home, anything to not be in the abuse that was at home, and just the the hopelessness. The only thing I was going to be good for at this point was to get married off and have children rinse and repeat everything I had already been raised with myself. And that felt like the most boring, trapped life I could ever imagine for myself. Um, I had a desire to, to travel and to do things. I didn't even know what they were because I couldn't conceive or dream about stuff. I just already knew what my directives were. Um, so I'm like, yeah, let, let's let's break out of this directive. Let's go do something fun. So my uh, he makes me call my parents. And my parents were elated. They were just over the moon. Oh yes, absolutely, Mr. Gothard. We were so honored. We would love for her to go. And he was like, "Well, we're going to have her leave right after the seminar on Saturday." And I was like, "Why? What? (laughs) Like right now? Like in a couple days?" And uh, so my mom's like, "Well, we'll send her stuff up to her at headquarters." And I'm like, "I like have a week's worth of clothes. What the world is happening?" So um, you know, they hang up the phone, and um, along the lines of discussion during that week. Um, he has an assistant sit in his office the whole time and he's just like doing his own work over in the corner on a computer. And at one point when Bill was asking me about the courtship thing and I told him about this 35 year old guy, he asked me, he was like, so Lindsay, are you a virgin? And I mean, it was so out of left field, especially for a girl who's raised in purity culture. I've made covenants with my father. I'm wearing a purity courtship ring. I'm only going to like, Listen to my father when it comes to who I should be engaged with and marry or be interested in and if I'm Tempted to have emotions for a guy then I'm gonna tell my dad about it And this is the first time anyone outside of my own father is asking me anything about This type of stuff like I was happy to tell him about the 35 year old guy But I'm like you you're asking me about whether or not I've had sex like I don't even know what sex is at this point I don't know how that even functions
0: because isn't that a big that's a big no-no, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like we, like you heard in the documentary, we weren't even u- allowed to use tampons. Like I was handed pads. That was it. Yeah. So I, I didn't know of options and I really didn't understand how sex really functioned. So am I a virgin? Like, of course, yeah. of course. Like, how dare you question it?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, in the church, they always tell you, like, you know, it's your fault for if a guy looks at you, you need to cover up, you, you know, you're the person that is making the guys think this way. And they use it as example as I don't know if they did with you, Lindsay, but for me, they did that. Oh, my gosh, boys have all these hormones. So how, like, how can they not look at you?
1: Yep. Yes, always. We were, we were the gatekeepers to men's sexual desires. Um, They can't control themselves. And we have no desire. So women, according to Bill and a lot of conservatives, women don't have sex drive. Men do. And so women are, the, are able to be the gatekeepers because we're not, quote, turned on the same way. Um, it's just it's asinine, really. Um, but when you're born and raised into it, you believe it full throttle. And honestly, I had no stirrings or awakenings of any kind because from day one, I was taught I don't have them. So why would I look for them or why would I be intrigued? I don't know to even do that. Um, But men, you know, they can't help themselves. I mean, literally, they wake up and they run into problems, you know. (laughs) And so it's it's just really, it's really strange. So then here you have this person that we idolize and look up to and he's asking me if I'm a virgin. I mean, it's, I, I... We've noticed a, a pattern with a lot of us survivors. We've noticed that this is a pattern with him, that he does ask this question. And I think that it is, it's a big tell for him, how we react. Not always is it yes or no, but like how, are, how we physically st- stumble over it. Like I remember feeling so flustered. And even now I feel like when I, when I say this, his, him asking me like, well, are you a virgin? It's easy for me to say. And then my response, I still feel how awkward I felt every time I say, "Well, no, yeah, of course, of course, I am." Like I stuttered over myself, and so I think that gives him a, a complete window into she has no clue, and she's feeling really uncomfortable about this. You know, it just it gives him information. Um, so I went immediately up to the Indianapolis training center. I couldn't go straight to headquarters. I had to go through yet another program. Um, he did this because he was already getting a lot of issues at headquarters. I found this out years later. He was having issues at headquarters because he's bringing back, as I call all of us, broken birds. So he's bringing all these little broken birds back to his headquarters that he can utilize. And headquarters and the staff not so much the staff but the um the board were getting a little bit wise to what he was doing and so he would want me he wanted a lot of us to go to these other seminars first so that we had more training to look like we belonged at headquarters so he had me go to this counseling seminar for it's a two-week seminar do you really think i'm getting fully trained to counsel people no it was a further indoctrination of most of the materials i already knew so I was just sitting through stuff I'd already known for ten years. Um, I get up to headquarters and I'm immediately put in the kitchen. <laughs> I was like, for work, like that was my job, was working in the kitchen. And I'm like, that counseling seminar is really coming in handy. It's <laughs> just making bread and cooking potatoes. But his office was right upstairs, and so I would get called up all the time to come in and sit in his office, and that's all they would do. I would just sit in his office while he and his assistant wrote letters to people and it was so boring. There was I was doing nothing but looking like a little cute dolly sitting in his office in my navy blue and white perfect little outfit. It was very frustrating. Um, within the first month that I was there, I was put into the the department for homeschoolers for the homeschooling program. So I actually worked in the Advanced Training Institute uh center, distribution center and information center, Um, and I very quickly did start counseling at the age of 18 with no life experience at all. I started actually counseling mothers, homeschooling moms, and uh, people that were having trouble with their teen kids, or they didn't want to sit still and listen, or they were behind on their reporting, and I'm just like... (laughs) I have a picture of myself with like my Bible and all these like little thumb, you know, uh, sticky notes and stuff, where I can just like flip through to different answers and like, well, the Lord says, da, 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 da. oh, it says this, and I, it was so sad. It was so sad that here I am as a teenager with nothing to give, I'm giving this advice to mothers who are calling in distraught and they're believing and eating up everything I'm saying. It was so. It was. Ugh, that's one of the things that, that still to this day probably actually makes me the most angry is just how I'm sure my mother was doing the same thing in the 10 years I was homeschooled. I'm sure she was calling up. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm behind on the reporting. I don't know what to do. Da, da, da. And there, there's like a 17, 18, 19 year old <laughs> giving her support um, so bad. But during that time in the first like four to six months that I was there, I would go up to Bill's office. He would ask. He would always ask me to come up and pray with him. And the prayer time was so awful um, for me because again, I'm in purity culture. I don't touch other people. People don't touch me. We stay very you know, distant from each other. It's the respect. It's, you also don't wanna cause any other Christian to stumble or give um, an appearance of evil. So even if I was in a room with just a man and a woman, that's an appearance of evil because anybody could assume that you've been doing something. Doesn't matter it doesn't matter what the context is. You just they assume it. So you don't ever want to give an appearance of evil. And yet Bill did it consistently. And so he I would I remember the first night that this ever happened and then it was just for three years. Um, I was sitting in his office like always. He had his assistant there. They're dic- he's dictating letters and finally it's like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night and the assistant's like, well, I think I'm going to go. Uh, you know, we've got an early morning. and He's packing up his briefcase and Bill's just sitting in his desk and I kind of went to get up too and Bill was like, well, Lindsay and I are going to pray but you can go on. And I'm like, he's the authority in this room. So you're just like, okay. So the, the young man kind of like slows down as he's like packing his stuff and I'm thinking, well, maybe he's going to stay or what is going on and i could tell his hesitation and then he finally is like all right well we'll see you in the morning lord bless or whatever and out, out he went and even when he left i was like i don't really know that i want to be here late at night i know everyone else is out of this building because we were always the last to leave and i was just like i don't like this and bill's like come on over, over to the couch Lindsay. and he loved red carpet so we're talking like McDonald's red trump red carpet on the floor and he, he has like this red velvet couch That we went over to and is very old timey, you know, like the the, just the gold. Mm. It's so gross. Yeah. Um, And so we go over and we to the prayer couch, and I go to sit down on the couch, and he's like, No, 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 we're gonna kneel. And I was like. Okay, I guess this, he likes to supplicate with God on his knees. Okay, here we go. So I get down on my knees, and he gets, like, real close. And I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but I don't, have, I don't have that reactionary ability on the outside. I'm just like, you just comply, you behave, you obey, you do whatever. And uh, so I hold my hands, you know, together to pray. And, all the, like, my eyes are closed, my head's bent. And all of a sudden, I feel his hand, like, worm his way around my right hand, and he pulls it towards his. And now our two hands are interlocked with each other. And I'm, I'm like, heart elevated. What's going on? Don't, I feel like he can't breathe very well. But I don't understand what this is. And he starts praying as though nothing is happening. And as he's praying, I don't know anything he prayed about couldn't even tell you. And I'm like, what is going on? And he starts to like pushes his body into mine, like his shoulder and his elbow, and then his hip and his thigh, and it goes down to his leg. And the next thing you know, his foot's like rubbing my foot, it's like shoe to shoe. And I was like, oh, this is so grating. Like everything was just like very sensory overload. And I was uh, so like nails on a chalkboard. And then a f- few minutes later, this is, he's all pressed up against me. And then he leans his head and then he kind of nuzzles me. And he's like, it's your turn. And I'm like, my turn to what? And I'm thinking like reciprocate. Do I need to like push into him? And then I was like, oh, duh, Lindsay, pray. He just it's your turn to pray. And I was like, how can I even pray right now? I know I don't. What are, we, what are we praying for? And then I just, so I just like uttered something out, don't remember what I said, and just wanted it to be over as quickly as possible and tried to sound like courageous in my prayer, like nothing was happening. Um, and then we said amen, and he like squeezed my hand. And, you know, I very quickly stood up and kind of stepped away. And um, he's like slowly getting up. And um, I was like, all right, well, and I go to the desk. I'm like, I'm just going to, I'll see you in the morning. Have a really great night. And out I went. This happened three to four weeks or three to four nights a week for four to six months when I first got there. And it was the same thing every night. Same thing, like clockwork. I mean, that I feel like that's why I can tell it so well, <laughs> because it happened constantly. And then I was there for almost three years. Um, within four to six months, it started to taper out. He wasn't doing this every three, you know, as many days, because he started bringing in new girls. And so if he didn't ask me, if I walked by his office, I saw someone else in there, or I could tell that another person was in there. I sadly was just so glad it wasn't me that night. And I didn't have the wherewithal, and I didn't have the courage to tell anyone or say anything, because I knew, I just knew the system. The system was against me from the second I got there. I'm a girl. He's Bill Gothard. If I go tell anybody, it's going to be because I stayed too long. It's going to be because I got down on my knees and prayed. It's going to be because I somehow was an eye trap to him or I was seducing him of some kind. And honestly, I didn't want to go home. My home life was not healthy. And I felt like this was something I could control maybe and home I could not. And at least here I had freedom. To, to a degree, but like I could go to the grocery store. I could buy my own clothes. I was making a little bit of money. I had an hourly wage. It was like $5 an hour, But and then I was capped at eight hours. I mean, we were working overtime like crazy, and I was just like, just filling out my time card like I was supposed to, and I actually got talked to about even that, saying, um, so we only do eight hours because the rest we give to the ministry.
2: I'm just like,
1: I know now I'm like, in yeah, what world? in what give world to the ministry Right. Of yeah. i would have been stopping that
0: uh, so growing up in this situation were, is this something like your parents paid for did you they was it do these courses and all this to get into his programs is that all cost money so is yes. it say could this be can, as a money making scheme oh
1: 100% <laughs> it is yes and it was one of those that he reels them in with so many schemes because they go to the basic and advanced seminar with IBLP, then they get pulled in with the Advanced Training Institute. And if you want to teach your kids, I think back when we started, I mean, I, w- I was a kid, but I think it was like 550 a year um, to get into it, which I th- I'm assuming is a lot cheaper than a public school would be with three children. But um, I couldn't tell you because I'm not versed in that. But um, it was like 550 for the year. But then, if you wanted extra materials, obviously you had to buy those. Then he had the um, the yearly seminar that um, we would all go to as homeschoolers, the homeschooling seminar in Knoxville, Tennessee. It later on had different locations. Now it's at Big Sandy, Texas, where they've moved all their, whole, all their campus. Um, but yeah, it was this huge trek. We'd all go to our, to Mecca. <laughs> it would just be like the Knoxville trek, and all the homeschooling families would go out there. Um, and that was expensive. You had to go to that. You had to put yourself up. Families had to travel. Then there were other extra programs for the kids to be involved with. There was extra money given out there. Any of the new materials that would come out. You'd feel pressure to have to purchase those. And then, of course, as we became teens, like going to the Excel program or Alert, those weren't cheap. They were they were thousands of dollars. And if you wanted to be a part of ministries overseas, which I really did, I wanted to go to Taiwan they had a, a mission trip to Taiwan. And I was like, Oh, I really want to go there. That would be so I just wanted, honestly, I realized now I just wanted to travel. It had nothing to do with furthering God's word or Bill Gothard's thing. I just really like traveling. Um, but I tried to earn money through the church to try to raise it. But it was like $2,700. This was back in the 90s. <laughs> like, was gonna, Who is going to get me to that number? I mean, the amount of like, car washes I would have to do. (laughs) just be impossible. Um, So yeah, there's a ton of money involved in this. And then for people that are going to the training centers that end up working as staff at them, a lot of them don't get paid. Some of them actually pay to be there to work as staff. It's pretty gross uh, when you break down just how much he was getting as far as free labor because we were all fervent for God and to work and further God's word and Bill's ministry.
2: Now, I know there was these camps in the documentary. Did you ever go to the camps for the girls and the...
1: Those are newer, so no. I, I okay. was in, I was in in uh, in the eighties and nineties. I'm an old old lady, but um, the the journey to the heart and things like that are are newer programs, and I think they're less time. Like Excel was eight weeks. I don't think that journey to the heart is more than like two or three weeks long now. But yeah, it's. I think he lost a lot of his training centers along the way too, and so <laughs> it seems like they've been turned into camps. Oh, yeah, interesting, cute. <laughs> <laughs>
2: cute. Real it's real cute.
1: cute. <laughs> but he's all—he's always trying to offer families something so that they don't have to put their kids into the world. So he tried to start a- or he started a legal program. He started a midwifery program. He started basic care, which was their like horrible medical training. You know, it, it was it just or uh, Verity and Telos were both him trying to start a university because the homeschooling was so successful. Let's start a university. Um, They all failed. Every single one of them failed, except for the Oak Brook College of Law, which does still exist, but because it broke off from IBLP. And now they still have people that enroll and they get um, their license through the California Bar.
0: This concludes part one of our two-part episode with Lindsay Williams. Can't wait for part two? Please subscribe to the Survivor Squad Patreon to receive exclusive early access to all episodes.
2: On that note, survivors, I'm Tara Newell.
0: And I'm Collier Landry.
2: And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast.
0: We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.